0: This may look a little bit different than our usual worship service, so don't think we've gone Catholic on you where you stand up, sit down, and and everything like that. There's no kneeling bench or anything like that. But what, what we are trying to do is simply present to you these commands that Jesus has given to us. And why do I say that? Because I think many of us have asked the question or been asked the question by others, why church? Why does the church today even exist? Or maybe another question is, what does the church do that can't be done by anything or anyone else? Uh, what would happen if the church just suddenly disappeared? Like that famous movie you know, about Christmas, my parents, I made my parents disappear. What would happen to culture? What would happen to the world if it suddenly was just gone? Or probably the best thing I heard was a a friend or acquaintance I have in the community. And he looked at me, and he's a skeptic. He doesn't believe much in God or anything else. But he said, you know, Jim, I've avoided church for 30 years. Look at me. I haven't been punished. I'm still alive. Nothing's gone bad with me more than anybody else. You see, we're asking that question, why is church? And for the last six or seven weeks, that's exactly what we've been trying to answer. You see, uh, we, we often think that church is something about um, what happens at church or what happens in church. And I want to just blow you away from that thinking today. You see, church is not so much about what happens in church, but what happens by the church. What is, what is it that Christians do? What are the sacred ceremonies or the practices of Christians that we can continue to do now and forever? Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but you probably grew up with the idea that commands are to be resisted. And as an example, as a child, if your parents told you to do something and you didn't want to do it, you're a big boy. You were wearing big boy pants. You could take your arms and fold them and just say, no. Oliver would never do that. <laughs> but others of us do. Well, so your parents decide that what we're going to do is we'll sit you down and we'll explain it to you. And so after the explanation, you still are resistant. You fold your arms and you say, no. So then they start quoting scripture. Honor your father and mother. And you hear that and it's still not enough. So there's finally four famous words that help you obey what your parents tell you to do. The four, I'll give you the first, because, yeah, because I said so. Works almost every time. In other words, we're not talking about reason here. We're talking about power and authority and do it because I said so. Now, if you think about that for just a minute, uh, when we hear that Jesus has given us commands we're to follow, we go, why? And there's reasons. But maybe you're thinking, well, same as my mom and dad, my heavenly father is the same as my dad because I said so. And so the idea here is that Jesus doesn't say this so he'll see how much we are resisting him. He doesn't say it uh so that we would um uh so that he could prove his authority over us. I want you to know Jesus is not frustrated with us, but his instructions are clear. Always have been, always will be. And there are two activities, two sacred ceremonies, two practices that we continue to do all these years later for different reasons. And those are practiced by his people, which Jesus calls the church. And they're practiced now and they'll be practiced until Jesus returns. Uh, So what we are about to do, and you ask the question, why church? Let me give you an answer. You won't have this happen at your schools. You won't have have this happen at the country club. You won't have these things happen at your work. They happen here, and they happen here only. By the way, I'm an expert in crying babies. There's no problem. Uh, <laughs> I've had three, some of them are still whining. So. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and, and, and so, among these practices that we are told to practice by his people that Jesus calls the church. Uh the why church is answered because Jesus said and was very clear that this is what we do. And the first is communion. Now this morning parents were saying that your children should watch you take communion or take communion with you. You're welcome to leave them in their chairs when you take it or you're welcome to bring them up. But this is one of those instances where if your children take it with you, you go home and they say, Mom and Dad, what were you doing? And you become the teacher. You become the one who explains to them what what maybe they don't do in their Sunday school class. And you get to sit them down and speak to them. This is what communion means to us. So we're asking that the children remain in here except for nursery and toddlers. And as they remain in here, uh, we will take communion together, and they'll get to see some people they know from their classes be baptized this morning. So it, it all begins, why communion? Why did Jesus leave that command or instruction with us? And I, I start with uh, Paul, who says to the Corinthians, who were struggling with doing communion well, he just gives them why they're doing this. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, not just the fact that Jesus died, but the purpose of his death, until he comes. So the first thing that we look about in communion is we understand there's something going on inside of us, but there's something that's to be expressed outside of us. We understand that as we take communion, we're told to do it in remembrance of him, but we're also told that as we do it, we're to be proclaiming him. In other words, Jesus, we as we take this, we're declaring our faith to anybody who is standing around. I don't know if this has ever happened, but it happened only once here in the eighteen years I've been here. Uh, we had a communion, there were a lot of visitors that Sunday, uh, certain people came up for communion and, and and they recognized each other and and they didn't know anything about the person's personal faith, and they go, "Oh, that person's." that That person goes to church here well, about as often as you do uh, but but boy, that person really needs communion, and that very week, the other person came to me and said, that person really needs communion. <laughs> Friends, uh, we will come from a lot of very different backgrounds which i 'll try to explain in just a bit, a bit here. But I want us to understand, but by proclaiming him, we're saying we're not ashamed of Jesus' death on the cross like his culture was. We are very proud of what he has accomplished on his cross because through his cross, we understand that forgiveness and eternal life have been offered to us and can be done in no other name except the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and our Lord. So, we give a public confession in front of anybody who watches us that we are proclaiming Jesus' death, the efficiency of his death, and what it did in our lives until he comes. Now, I was just talking to people this morning and said, Well, how do you do communion? How do you do baptism? And I I say, uh, usually I say, well, we, we try to just go back to what are the essentials. Some of you have come from backgrounds where you put more emphasis on what communion is than we do. Uh, What do I mean by that? You you are told, and I won't give you the the uh, six-syllable word for it, but you're told that the bread and the juice become the real body and blood of Jesus. And so as you look at us, take communion, you go, you know, you guys, you're really casual, almost irreverent. And... What I'm trying to say is that all we are doing is we're given an instruction by Jesus that he leaves for his church, and it's to be followed only by those who are in his church. Taking communion for us is simple. It's called obedience. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me, and we're to be doing it time and time again. I want you to know that it doesn't have to be done only in the church or at the church. You could take communion at your home and you serve it to one another. I imagine if you wanted to, you could hide in a closet and serve yourself communion. But I, I don't I don't get that. But you could. There's no law stopping us. What we are saying is we are not resentful that Jesus has given us this command because he said so. But we're rejoicing in remembering God's son goes to his cross for us. So we go through this ceremony about once a month, rejoicing. Uh, we do this as a means to honor Jesus at His Word. Now, if you cannot accept the way we serve communion or what the, the meaning we put behind it, please lower the bar and at least accept that Jesus has told us, He's instructed us. And we do it as a means to remember Him, but also to proclaim Him. When we take the cup and when we take the bread, what we are saying is this is where I have placed my faith for my standing before God and for my eternal life. I put it nowhere else than in this bread and in this cup. And and we invite you to take it and understand that we will continue to take it as long as we're still here. I've got the, you know, I got the sense that if we're proclaiming him until he comes back, then we'll be doing this until we're no longer here. The church is gone. So he's giving you this command and we invite you very simply to say, Jesus told me to. It doesn't matter how deeply moved I am, but I'm doing it in remembrance of him and proclaiming him. So we have here, very simply, a loaf and we have a cup. And all that we are doing is saying, this is what you will do as you come forward. You will take a piece of the loaf, dip it in the cup, as your means of proclaiming Jesus until he comes back. This is his body, which he said was broken for you. He gave up his entire life, his very life. He died. This is his cup, which is also for you. And when Jesus shed his blood, it was now the way in which we would know that we have forgiveness for our sins. His blood was the cost necessary for God to say your sins are forgiven. Would those serving please come forward. Now again, parents, you know if your children are ready to take communion, if they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Or you know if they should maybe just stand with you and watch you do it. And you get to explain it to them afterwards. But our invitation is to all of you who have placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ to come in remembrance and proclamation of him. Well, that's the first thing communion you ready for the rest. I am this is so fun because again, we are simply following Jesus in this second ceremony and we're told to practice it to honor the instruction of baptism. Let me give it from Matthew <clears throat> here at the end of Matthew. Jesus is speaking to his 11 disciples before, uh, he is he is now resurrected, but he is not yet ascended to the Father. And so it says that when they saw him in Galilee, uh, they worshipped him. And even then, even some of them were doubting. But he left them with these instructions. It says, then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So their mission was to go everywhere. And I take it that this is how disciples are made. It begins by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we get to this, and he says, now, I, I want you not just to do this to remember me, but I want you all to be involved in disciple-making or making disciples. Now, some of us have been at other initiation ceremonies for clubs, for organizations or schools. They made us do it because they said, you can't be a member till you go through this. And have you noticed that over history, the longer we've been doing these ceremonies, the more complicated and intricate they become? We never make things shorter. We only make them longer and longer and longer. Why? Because we want them to feel special. We want them to say more than that, hey, I had to go through this, you have to go through this too, and it's going to be even harder for you than it was for me. We 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 love that sense of authority. I'll tell you how this is done, and believe me, if I paid a little bit, you're going to pay a lot. Well, we try to keep it simple. We try to do it the same way that we see it being done in Acts and in the Gospels. So this is our third millennia of doing it. And we're trying to shorten it. We're trying to keep it as short as possible, not because it's not important. It is very important. But it's to be simple. Because the emphasis is to be on what has happened in a person's life. Doesn't take a 50-minute story. It just takes a very simple testimony, especially as children are younger, a very simple confession that I believe in Jesus Christ, and here's how it happened to me. So uh, 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 we use the example of Scripture, and and we use it it, it, in a place where we want it to be public, that someone places his or her trust in Jesus Christ as the one who has forgiven sins through his death on the cross. And, and then we do it by by taking them into a public place and, and doing it right there. Now, I, I want you to know I broke the rules. Growing up in college, I had four friends. We were roommates together. And uh, we didn't like church. Funny how young people struggle liking church. It's not just my generation. It's almost every generation. Too much of an organization, not enough of an organism. You heard that before? good because I've been saying it for 50 years. I understand why people don't like church. So we were looking at each other one night and we just asked and you know uh, uh, you've been baptized? No. You've been baptized? No. You've been baptized? No. No. Let's go get baptized. Where? Boulder Reservoir. Count me out. That place is never above 50 degrees. And I had a weak heart even then. You see, what what we did was we we took each other through the Boulder Reservoir and we didn't have anybody who was ordained or educated. We didn't have anybody who was even experienced. And I think it worked. (laughs) None of us died, though I thought I was close. And we all came up. And I haven't kept track of all four of those other guys, but I think they're all followers of Jesus Christ today. They were simply saying, the, ba- the Bible says, and Jesus says, be baptized. And because we had all come to faith or come back to our faith in, in those years in college, that we went and baptized each other. Now, some of you come from a background where you were baptized or christened as infants. And you were too young to know uh, what it meant, or if it meant anything to you at all. But it meant a lot to your family. And it meant a lot to your church. Water was sprinkled on you or poured on you. And those who attended uh, agreed that your family was a Christian family and you were being brought into that faith of your Christian home. The example of scripture is you come to faith and you're baptized then. You come to faith and you're baptized soon after. And and we understood that it was a declaration That I am a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ and I plan to do this for the rest of my life. Well, if that is the example of scripture, we want to follow that as closely. But we have a lot of freedom. And I want you to know that several people who have had baptisms as infants have come to me and said, Well, since then I've come to faith, what should I do? And I say, Well, it's your choice. I'd love to baptize you. You just come and tell me. And then sometimes they say, well, I'm a little embarrassed. Well, then we're not here to embarrass you. Why don't you hold off until you're not embarrassed? And I'd love to baptize you. Well, shouldn't I be baptized? I mean, won't something bad happen to me if I'm not baptized? Won't God give up on me? Or will he just say, that's it for you? I'm going to squash you for the rest. No, God doesn't do that. In fact, we, we, as we talk about baptism here, and, and, and we were explaining it to the, to the four youth who were being baptized, uh, I said, there's only one difference before and after you're baptized. And I got their attention. I said, you go in before baptism very dry. You come out very wet. And you will. But baptism is simply giving a public testimony to the fact that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you are trusting in his two great gifts for you. The first great gift is the fact that all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on his cross. And the second one is because you are righteous before God, you will have eternal life. You will be with Jesus in heaven for eternity when you die. And those are the two great things. So as you give testimony, you're not saying, I'm going to be living a perfect life. But you will be saying, I expect to be following Jesus and not turn my back on him. And also know that in public testimony, sometimes there can be some consequences. It's not as much as the early church. But I know as I proclaimed my faith in Jesus Christ late in high school, I had all these terms given to me. Jim got religion. And I I didn't know what to say. Uh, Jim's a holy Joe. I said, No, I'm a holy Jim. But they used all these terms and they began to back away from me. Here's what happened to the early believers when they were baptized. They were once they were baptized, the city knew where they lived. And they were seen as leaving the pagan faith of the city and the pagan faith of the families that raised them. They were often disowned. They were marked men and women who became the talk of the town. Because the the surrounding areas didn't know what was going on, that they didn't come to for instruction about what baptism mean, they were often called incestuous because they call each other brother and sister, husbands and wives. More than that, they were called cannibals because they were eating and drinking Jesus. They were also called rebels. The Romans called them atheists because they only had one God. And here's the greatest of all. And you've got to get the intonation because it happened in Antioch. In Antioch, they became so much like Christ that they were called little Christ. It wasn't a compliment. It was derision. Oh, Another little Christ, and I imagine they said, "You are so fake. You are so unreal. You know, what happened to you? Why, why, aren't you still with us like the rest of us?" Today, it is very simply a short statement of a person's trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and the gift in the gift of eternal life. And when we immerse them in water, it is a symbol, but. Nothing spiritual or magical happens at that time. It's already happened through placing faith in Christ. It is a symbol of cleansing from the old life. And you might say identifying or launching of the new life to be a follower of Jesus for the rest of your life. So understanding that nothing magical happens at this moment, that they are giving public testimony of what God has done in saving them and that alone. But I want you to know this. It also brings great encouragement to be baptized. Encouragement to the Christ followers who witness it. Sometimes it just seems like we don't see God at work. It, it just appears like, Lord, you know, I've, I've had these prayer requests. I don't see an answer or the answer's no. Or, or Lord, I've been trying to, uh, to live a better life and, and be a better follower. I don't, I don't see it happening. I'm just way too slow. But I see people of every generation claiming that they have found the Savior and the Lord of Eternity in Jesus Christ, God's Son. And so as they make that proclamation, the rest of the body is encouraged. Because we have seen God at work in four individual hearts this morning. And it is a beautiful thing to see. So they're giving that public testimony. And people are still coming forward, declaring their personal trust in Jesus Christ. Now, they're the same as before, but just a little more wet. And each one we're baptizing today comes from a strong Christian home. So we have added a little bit to the ceremony that you maybe have not seen before in other baptisms. Each One of the parents will give a blessing on each of the children. And let me tell you why. I did not, and I was not the most influential person In each of these children's lives, their moms and their dads were. And they know better the journey that each child has been on than I ever could. Each of them not only comes from a strong Christian home, but a, but a home where Christ is loved and honored. And they understand each of the bents, each of the characters of each of their children. So we invite you to watch this with us and be encouraged as the most influential person in bringing each of these baptismal candidates, uh, the most influential person in their faith, takes part in it. Well, the worship team is going to come while well, there's some changing going on. I'm looking for a phone booth. And, um, and, and, and so sing with them, and then uh, we'll begin just after. Those being baptized, why don't you make your way to this room, and we will prepare. As you go on your way this week, may God go before you to show you the way. May he go behind you to encourage you, beside you to be your friend, above you to watch over you, and within you to give you peace, perseverance, and uncontainable joy. Have a great week.